So we are uh, still in the book of Romans. I don't know if you had been expecting we might do something a little bit uh, different tonight, given everything that's been going on, perhaps focused more directly uh, on the coronavirus and thinking, what does God's word tell us about that? Should we take a break from Romans and give special attention to that? Um, but I thought, no, let's press on. Let's press on and see what the passage that God had already decided we would look at this, this evening might have to say. And I think it actually has plenty uh, to say about uh, our experience. Um, here's, here's just one uh, reflection. I'm going to be uh, sharing some slides um, with you and you can choose as I share these slides whether uh, you have the slide itself as the main image on your screen or if you would rather see me as the main image on your screen. That's totally up to you. I'll never know what you choose so you just go for it. Uh, I think you can toggle in the top right hand corner um, to, uh, to change that. Uh, so uh, there's a little image of our friend, the coronavirus, uh, or our foe, perhaps. Uh, and uh, we could have uh, focused on that. But uh, I thought it'd be interesting to think about uh, what corona, the word itself, actually means. Does anybody know? Uh, a moose? Moose? Is that what you're saying, Jed? No? Okay, yes, look, the uh, label, the corona label there isn't just there to be uh, funny at the moment. It's there because uh, there's a clue in that label uh, what, of what corona means. It actually means crown. Uh, it's from the Latin, which is uh, carried over into Spanish. Uh, crown is what the word means. Uh, and uh, there it is on the label, the crown. Uh, and just in case you didn't get that, uh, a close up. Uh, and I was thinking about that fact uh, and thinking about the coronavirus and it occurred to me that the coronavirus is actually just a symptom, which might sound strange. It's not just a disease that has symptoms. It in itself is actually a symptom of uh, a deeper sickness. Uh, you see, you might uh, recognise an image like this. It's taken from a gospel uh, explanation called Two Ways to Live. Uh, and here we see uh, who wore the original corona, that is, who wore the original crown. Uh, it was God... Uh, who made the world, and that crown there represents him and his rule. He made us to rule the world under his rule. That's, that's how things were meant to work. Uh, but the next slide of this gospel presentation uh, shows us how the original virus uh, entered the world. Uh, you see what happened. That first crown is crossed out, and each one of us, uh, in turn, after Adam and Eve, have taken uh, to trying to rule our own lives and this world our own way. Uh, we've spurned God's rule, we've rejected him, and we've said, no, no, we want to try and rule as well. And what we need to understand is that the impact of that uh, is felt at every level of the world in which we live in. That it's true that the sickness of the coronavirus is actually because of this sin. Uh, as the curse flowed on from sin, uh, we see that it affected uh, every part of the world that God has made uh, and it's how our sickness and death uh, entered the world in the first place. And tonight, uh, in Romans 7, we're going to be giving a good deal of thought to, uh, to sin, uh, but also to freedom. And that's another big topic of discussion at the moment, you know, as we feel like our freedoms are really being impinged and brought in. We're going to be thinking about, well, what does true freedom look like anyway for us? Uh, freedom 
indeed from uh, sin. Now we started looking at this in the last uh, couple of weeks, but I forgot to pray this morning and this is where I'm meant to pray. So I'm gonna ask you to pray with me as we uh, dive into the passage, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much uh, that your word speaks directly and relevantly uh, to our circumstances at all times. Father, we pray that you would give us your big perspective on things at the moment. Coronavirus seems to have, uh, it dominates every discussion. It just fuels everything that's happening in the world at the moment. Um, but you, in your word, give us an even broader perspective uh, for uh, all that's happening at the moment. We pray that that perspective would serve us well and that it would help us to serve others well, uh, that we would have true uh, true hope and peace and comfort and uh, an awareness of your uh, great and sovereign plans in the world, uh, even in the midst of this turmoil. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, where have we been? Well, uh, remember in the book of Romans, uh, we're presented with the, our dire circumstances in the first couple of chapters that uh, each one of us has, uh, has rebelled and earned uh, the penalty of death. But God in his mercy and his grace uh, has extended uh, to us a way out. Uh, now in the gospel, uh, through Jesus Christ and through faith in him, uh, we've been given a way out from under the consequences of our sin. And God has made that way. Uh, and the first consequence that we looked at, that the gospel has dealt with, is uh, sin's penalty. Uh, when uh, we sinned, we earned uh, God's penalty, the penalty of death. Uh, but Jesus, in dying on the cross, uh, took the penalty for us. He has paid the penalty. And so we are no longer, if our faith is in Jesus, no longer under sin's penalty. And that is good news. But the good news doesn't end there uh, because as well as being set free from the penalty of sin, released from that, we've also been released from the power of sin. Remember last week we saw that uh, just as we through union with Christ, died with him in his death, and therefore the penalty was uh, paid. So we have been raised with him to new life. Uh, the, the power of the resurrection is alive in us. Uh, sin's power has been broken in our lives. Now, if that's true, and it is, that sin's penalty has been taken by Jesus, paid by him, sin's power has been broken through his death and resurrection, then what does that mean for the presence of sin? This is a big issue. Uh, in our experience, we know that sin still lurks, don't we? Why is that so, given what we've just seen? If the, if the power of sin has been broken, why is that so? Uh, are we like this young fella, you know, all angel, all, uh, angel wings and halo? Is that the reality of your life? Uh, I doubt it, and, and yet why not? Because you could get the impression that that's how it should be, even from reading the verses around tonight's passage. Have a look at the verses just before and just after uh, tonight's passage. Have a look at chapter 7, verse 6. But now, by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law so that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. We've been released, so we serve in the new way of the spirit. Freedom, no longer slavery. 
And then chapter 8, verses 1 and 2, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. So if that's how it is, if we've been set free, then why do we still sin? Why is this passage here, why does it just kind of get inserted at this point and seemingly interrupt the flow of this freedom? Well, uh, just as in chapter 6 last week, uh, we see here in chapter 7 that Paul is answering a very important question and his answer is a gift to us, a gift to help us uh, understand the nature of the freedom that Jesus has won for us and also to understand why living as a follower of Jesus is the way it is and why it is this difficult, challenging struggle. Paul gives us the answer to that question in this passage tonight. Uh, in chapter 6, you might remember, Paul answered a question as well. The, the question there was, does Christian freedom mean freedom to sin? And we heard that emphatic answer, no way. If anyone saw the kids talk last week, it was... Uh, no way, uh, we belong to Jesus. Right? No way, we belong to Jesus. So freedom from the penalty of sin isn't, and the power of sin isn't freedom to sin. Here in chapter 7, Paul addresses another question, and that is, okay, so in that case, does Christian freedom mean freedom from sin? Jesus' death pays the penalty for sin and breaks the power of sin. But what about the presence of sin? Does Jesus' death and resurrection separate us from the presence of sin altogether? Now, flowing on uh, from verse 6, uh, Paul is answering the question in verse 7 and down to verse 13, answering the question or perhaps the accusation. It sounds like you're saying, Paul, that the law is bad. But that's not what Paul is saying, and he clarifies that. Verse 12, for example, he says, So then the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, righteous, and good. The law is not bad. This is how it works. The law, rather, prompts or provokes what is bad within us. Uh, so the law acts like a prompt and exposes what is bad within us. Uh, chapter 7 verses 7 to 8. Uh, have a read there. Halfway through verse 7, I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of coveting. Now, I reckon that our world has seen this, uh, you know, in, uh, in all its neon splendour yeah, this week, haven't we? We've seen how uh, our, our sinful nature is prompted by the circumstances around us. Uh, look at this image here, the uh, empty toilet paper aisle in the supermarket. You know, did anybody know what panic buying was before this week? I'd never heard of the idea. I don't even know if it existed. But I've got to confess, I've been to the supermarket four times now this week, and I never go to the supermarket. Uh, the first time I even, you know, a week ago, we saw images of people grabbing toilet paper and fighting over it in the, uh, in the aisles, and we laughed. We laughed. How many days did it take you before you went out and bought some toilet paper? 
it was only a few days for me. Out to buy the toilet paper, out to buy the wheat bix out to buy the, uh, the coffee. We were running low. I even went out once and, and didn't expect to find any rice and there was just like one box of rice on the shelf. What did I do? You know, don't panic buy, make sure you leave enough for others. I was only allowed to take two, but I made sure that I took the maximum. You see, and the more that the government said, don't do it, the more I felt I had to do it. The more I, I panicked and worried. Uh, it's a lot like that here. Uh, Paul says, sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of coveting. It doesn't, it's not that deep within us and it comes to the surface really easily. But why? Why is that still the case? What happened to sin's power being broken? If sin's power is really broken, then why does it still seem to have a hold on us? What kind of freedom do we really have? And that's exactly the question that the rest of this chapter answers for us. And it does it in the best way possible, I reckon. That is, this chapter doesn't pretend. Uh, it tells us warts and all the nature of the freedom that we have to follow Jesus. This chapter, Romans 7, is probably the Bible's most famous description of what goes on inside of us, uh, the inner turmoil of the struggle against sin. It is brutally honest. You can feel the frustration. You can feel the anguish that Paul is in. At times, it seems like outright bewilderment. For example, have a look at verse 15. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. In fact, Romans 7 describes such a desperate struggle that some people think that Paul must be describing his life before he was a believer, before he had been set free by Jesus, because this doesn't sound like freedom. Surely freedom couldn't be this hard. But I think, and I'm not alone in this, that Paul is describing exactly what freedom should feel like for everyone who is genuinely following Jesus while we wait for him to return. So here's the key. The freedom that Jesus has won for us is not the freedom to live the way that we once did. And it's not the freedom to live the way that we once, we one day will live when he returns. The freedom that Jesus has won for us is the freedom to live for Jesus today. And that means the freedom to fight against sin. You see, before we had been set free from the power of sin, it was like we had our hands tied and chained behind our back and we could do nothing. What's happened is that sin has broken those chains, our hands are free, and they're free to pick up a sword or, if you prefer, uh, a lightsaber and do battle against our sin. That's the nature of the freedom that we have. The freedom to struggle and strain and strive in the power of the Holy Spirit to live this new way in the power of the Spirit, to put off our old self, to put on the new self as God grows us to be more and more like Jesus. It's meant to be a battle. It's meant to be a fight. One day, 
this transformation will be complete. The battle will be over. But not today. Today, we're all in the thick of this battle still. But we fight as free men and women. And we fight knowing also that the final victory is guaranteed. See, the war is actually already won. We're just fighting out the little battles until it's done. So we fight in the freedom of knowing that even when we fail our little battles, yet we can't be defeated. We will always be on the winning side. We're free to fight because Jesus has defeated the power of sin. And get this, we're even free to fail because Jesus has paid the penalty for our sin. And we must fight because though the penalty has been paid and the power has been broken, the presence of sin has not yet been removed. You know that and I know that. It should be our daily experience. So what then does this battle look like? Well, in a word, it's intense. And you can feel the intensity of it here as Paul writes, can't you? We read verse 15 earlier, that turmoil, that struggle. Have a look at verse 19 as well. For I do not do the good that I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Why so intense? Well, it's because the battle is going on inside us. It's intense because it's internal. The battle we're fighting isn't actually out there. It isn't with coronavirus. It isn't even just with the sin of others. The main battlefront is going on in here. The main battlefront is inside of us. There's a very real sense in which as Christians, we wage war with ourselves. But even though it's intense, and even though we might be discouraged at times by our lack of progress, there's one really good reason not to despair and not to give up. There's a little clue in this passage. It's hard to spot, but when you see it, I think it's one of the most encouraging things that you can ever discover that will keep you pressing on in this battle. Read verse 18 with me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature, for I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. Now, that may not sound like the most encouraging verse in the Bible to you, uh, but I just want to highlight one little thing in here that might flip it for you. What I want to show you is that Paul says, I have the desire to do what is good. See, here's the fact. If you're a follower of Jesus, it will be reflected in your heart, in your desires. What does Paul say he desires? He desires what is good. He wants to do what is good. And that is a sure sign if you share that desire, even if that desire doesn't always win out, it is a sure sign that we have in fact been set free. Set free from the power of sin to only want to do what isn't good. And we're no longer slaves to sin. But our ability to carry out our new desires is still compromised and that's why we still do at times what we no longer want to do. I think Paul clarifies what's going on here by distinguishing in this chapter between what he calls I myself on the one hand and on the other hand, my sinful nature or sometimes he calls it 
sin living in me, or another time, another law at work in me. So have a look, for example, at verse 17. Uh, he says, As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. And then in verse 20, Now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So Paul is describing this very real internal conflict between the old self, sin living in me, and the new self, I myself, who I now am in Christ. And it sounds distressing, and it is distressing, and maybe you know that distress, that conflict yourself. But tonight I just want to encourage you, don't despair. I want to say to you, you have every reason to hope because the very fact that you don't want to sin is a sure sign that you are, in fact, on the victor's side. You may fail, but he has won. Do you see how it works? You may commit the sin that you didn't want to commit, but the fact that you didn't want to do it is actually more important than the fact that you did it. Does it make sense? Because you belong to Jesus, you didn't want to do it. And that's what matters. It's what he has done, remember, that matters. It's not what you do. This passage is all full of that word, isn't it? Do, do, I do. I do. But in the end, it's not what we do that counts. It's what Jesus has done. And then it's the impact of what he has done in our hearts, changing our desires and helping us to fight the battle so that gradually over time we win that battle. But I do think it's worth putting out a challenge at this point. See, we might talk a lot about oh, really struggling with this sin or whatever, but not actually be struggling at all. We just use the terminology. And what we mean is, oh, I'm really giving into this sin a lot. So I want to challenge you tonight. Are there areas of sin in your life that you are not fighting against? Where you've really run up the white flag? Perhaps as Paul discovered, are you covetous? But rather than hating your covetousness, you're feeding it. Or are you a gossip? And rather than learning to discipline your tongue within the power of the spirit, you love the feeling that your gossip gives you of being at the centre of things and so you just keep rolling on with it. Or are you living for the approval of others and striving for their praise and recognition rather than striving for God's glory and it's just a habit, you're just in that rut and you just keep going down that path. See, it's all well and good to say, keep up the good fight, but what about when we're not fighting at all? What about when that old sinful nature or sin living in me is having a field day? What are we to do with that? Well, I've learned a helpful lesson about this from a variety of friends over the years. Run out of battery or something? Okay. I'm almost done here, so good reason to speed up. Uh, I've learned a lesson from a few friends over the last uh, little while. Uh, and that is that we need to start this struggle by telling God the truth about what's going on in our hearts. We need to say to God, God, I confess that I want to do these things more than I want to live for you. I want to 
I love those things more than I love you. I love the praise of other people more than I love you. I love the feeling of power that gossip gives me more than I love you. I love the prospect of a new bike more than I love you. It's pathetic, isn't it? It's embarrassing, but it's true. And I think it's what Paul is talking about in the first part of the passage in verses 7 to 13 when he says that sin might become utterly sinful, that we might recognise how lame our other, our love centred on other things is. But here's the wonder of it all. Here's the grace in it all. When we confront and confess the shallowness and the waywardness of our heart, then that's exactly when God starts turning things around for us, when he starts setting us free. That's when we're made free to fight the battle against sin. You know, I've got a friend who uh, has been addicted to amphetamines for over 25 years. There's one period last year where he hadn't touched those drugs in, uh, in three months. You can imagine how, what a torturous battle he has had for most of his life. And uh, at that time, he sent me a few texts and he said this, hey, interesting fact, tomorrow equals the longest I've abstained from using amphetamines, 90 days. It equals the three-month stint that I had in rehab about 10 years ago. But the interesting bit is that it all started when I realised and told God that I love drugs probably more than I love him and I need his help. It's a horrible and shocking thing to tell God, but it was true. And then I realised that God already knows Jesus pretty well. And so there's no use me running around trying to pretend that I'm him. God wants to know me, which is mostly the ugly bits. That's the grace that comes to us in the gospel. It's the grace to be real with God. It's the grace to acknowledge that we sometimes do love sin more than we love God and that the only way we can turn away from sin is if we're real with God about that, that he would set us free with the good news that the penalty is paid and that the power is indeed broken and one day the presence will be gone altogether. But until that day, you and I are called to fight, to fight that battle, to fight alongside each other, whether it's uh, in the current circumstances of the coronavirus or whatever, but fighting that battle is sin in our hearts. And we can take heart because as we heard earlier, Jesus has overcome the world. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for what we've seen in your word tonight, that your grace uh, knows no bounds, that even though there is ongoing sin in our lives, you have uh, broken its power, its hold, that our hearts are in fact set free, that we have new desires and those desires are growing in us as your spirit transforms us to be more like Jesus. But at the same time, Father, we want to admit to you and confess to you that there are ways in which we're just going with the flow, where we're not fighting a battle at all, where sin still has its hold in different parts of our lives and we still express that in all sorts of ugly ways. 
Father, please help us to see what those things are and when we see them, to acknowledge them firstly to you, to speak plainly and truly and honestly with you about those things, to gather others around us who we trust and who we know can also um, uh, hear the ugliness of our sin and yet because they know the gospel, don't judge us for it. And then so that we can fight this battle together. We thank you for calling it, uh, calling us to this fight. We thank you for equipping us for it. And we ask that you will help us to engage in it with the power and the resources that you have made available to us. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.